Welcome to New Day Podcast, a ministry of Redeemer Church of Madison. Join me, Pastor Gabe, for a weekly podcast devoted to discussions around church, theology, and practical issues we all face. Let's go. Let's go. Here we are, uh, episode four of the New Day Podcast. Xander, Chris, Alyssa, all hanging out. Uh, how is everyone doing? Chris, why don't you start us off? It's a great day. Sun is it's a new day. It is a new day, and the sun is shining. Yep. Where do you wish you were right now? Right here. You don't wish you were at a beach? No, nah, not today. Not today. <laughs> it's podcast <laughs> day. Uh, Alyssa, how are you? We are doing fabulous. Fabulous. You got your Chick-fil-A cup. Got it. Your planner, you're just feeling good. Ready to go. And then we've got Xander. Xander Hi. is back. Xander, back. where have you been? Where have I been? I've been in LJ, just running around. Just by yourself? No, uh, well, only one flesh was in the mountains. This is a kid-rated podcast, so <laughs> let's, let's, yes, one flesh. Let's elaborate a little bit. I'm, I'm, just, I'm starting with my biblical language. Uh, now, got married, um, had my honeymoon in LJ, actually in a cabin, that we went to as children growing up. It's owned like by your family did. Yeah, my family. That's awesome. So um, it's where I fell in love with hockey. That's a fun fact for you. Um, in the LJ cabin. In an LJ cabin wow. because they had the movie Miracle on Ice and we beat the Russians. Wolverines. I know that's a different reference, but still down with the Russians. I didn't get either of those references. Either. You've never seen Miracle on Ice. I haven't. You have one opportunity. Does that make me an op- <laughs> American? Uh, I mean, if it was still the '80s, then maybe. But yeah, I uh, went to LJ um, on the honeymoon, married the love of my life, Mariah Berger now. Mariah um, Berger. Nice. It's a good, strong name. It is a good, strong name. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so she's at home right now, unpacking all of her stuff, moving into our house. Got to check my pronouns. And um, now, you know, we're just getting settled into married life. It's pretty cool. So let's go back to the wedding. Uh, it was in Cleveland, Tennessee, Lee University. Yep. Uh, University? Lee College? Yeah. Okay. The chapel was beautiful. Oh, it's gorgeous. What's the history of that chapel? So I've asked around a whole bunch for that. And we went to a conference, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point, um, as a staff, and where I was able to go as well. And while there, we couldn't find a seat. Someone gave us their seat. And the guy afterwards was like, can we talk to you for a minute? He was also married at that chapel. Um, went to Lee University as well. So, like, wow. what a connection. Yeah. Um, and so Michael he was Rob. Michael Rob, that's his name. And he was one of the first 10 people to get married at that chapel. And mm-hmm. he got married, I believe he said, in like 08 or 09. Okay. So it's pretty new. Sweet. It's very new. It was, yeah. um, they finished like one section of it and said it was built in 09. And then they finished another section and said, okay, we're done with it. It's 2013, I think. Uh, there's a plaque that says 2014 on one side, there's a plaque that says 2016 on another side. Mm hmm. Um, but it looks old. It looks historic. It's yeah, beautiful. I would have never guessed it was that Mini new. Hogwarts. Yeah. So, um, wedding went great. Reception went great. Honeymoon awesome. went great. I mean, something has to go wrong at every single wedding. They well, say that, but nothing what, what, did. Nothing happened? Okay, well, one thing did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like day two of the honeymoon. We were excited to go to something called the Gravity Coaster. It's in Helen. At least that's what I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, effectively, it looks like a mine cart that you'd see in an old school video game and you just coast down the side of a mountain and it looks really aesthetically beautiful. It's in Helen. So it's going to be about an hour drive. We're going to enjoy the, the way there. And 
as my wife, that's fun to say, was making coffee, and uh, let's just say I was still trying to wake up. <laughs> um, I just sleep from bed to sofa to chair. <laughs> and so she's making the coffee and breakfast and everything. She's awesome. And she looks out the window, and she goes, uh, did you park the Jeep weird, or is it supposed to look like that? And so I, of course, woke up immediately, ran outside, and had a flat tire. Another one had a screw in it and was leaking air. And the spare that I have for the Jeep already has a hole in it that mm. has been repaired, although it should not have been repaired because it's, like, pretty much on the sidewall. Mm. So maybe something went wrong. So that, <laughs> that was it. But the wedding was great. Wedding went fantastic. If it went wrong, it was the honeymoon. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. So what was, what was your favorite moment of the wedding? And you can't say when she walked in and walked down the aisle. No, that's like bottom 15 for me. Bottom 15. <laughs> no. Ouch. <laughs> Mariah, he did not mean that. I promise. No, they, they were all top moments. Um, I would say my top moment, this is so stupid, but it probably is my top moment. And Mariah will kill me for this, but this is just me being honest. Um, when my groomsmen, who are all goons, all of them, um, found a chair at the church, hoisted me into the chair, and started throwing me up and down and th there's a Jewish word for it, but I don't know what it is. But shalom, my brothers. It was fantastic. <laughs> my head almost hit some of the lights because it's a lower ceiling. It was a great time. Oh, that was that's. It was yeah, a great moment. That's pretty awesome. There, there are only so many times in life that you get hoisted up by your friends. And typically, I think you're dead in a casket when it happens for most people. <laughs> so I was lucky enough to be there. Yeah. Enjoy it. You enjoyed it. That's I did. great. I love it. I love it. Yeah, so you mentioned a minute ago, we went to a retreat yesterday as a staff to feed my sheep at Mount Vernon Baptist Church in, in Atlanta, uh, and it was fantastic. I mean, we, we've kind of fantastic. talked about it some, uh, but I'm going to kick it to you guys. Y'all can fight over who goes first, but what was your biggest takeaway? It was just a one-day pastor church leader conference. Um, I warned y'all before we went, and it was very true that there's nothing but sermons and hanging out. I mean, that's really what it was, three times of preaching a panel, some worship, and lunch together. But uh, I'd be curious, what was y'all's favorite points, favorite part, biggest takeaway? Um, so, Alyssa, why don't, you, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, so my favorite part um, about the whole day really was the worship part of it. Um, there was just a guy playing a guitar and um, a lady playing the piano, and we just sang hymns. Mm. I mean, in between the sermons, um, before the panel started, all of the things, it was just sermon or hymns and our voices and it was just it was it was really cool really cool yeah and we, we were late so we <laughs> missed probably the first time of singing that was my fault Atlanta traffic's fault but kind of my fault too what were you gonna say Chris um I was just gonna elaborate a little bit on what Alyssa said um it was mostly men in the room there were probably I would guess there were probably 50 ladies there but um it was mostly comprised of men and just to hear the men singing loudly and um just their worship was so sincere mm. and um simple but sincere and that was um that was very nice yeah very nice and, and Xander that was part of y'all's honeymoon I mean what was that like coming to a, a pastor's conference being a week married I hate how much I loved it yeah you know um there's the selfish element of just getting to constantly say, uh, where's my wife? Oh, there's my wife. Mm. Um, introducing people to, oh, yes, this is my wife. Plus the every single time that someone's like, oh, how long have you been married? 
and we got to say a week and two days. Mm. They're like, this this is your honeymoon. You're here on on your honeymoon. <laughs> Um, but it, it really was a sweet way to kick off marriage. Um, in her name tag, said Mariah yes. Burger. <laughs> That's the first time she got to see her name in writing somewhere. Um, and so when we first walked up there, I was like, yes. Uh, so mine's going to say uh, Xander Burger, and my wife's is going to say, oh, there it is. And the guy who's getting out name tags was like, you didn't know? <laughs> um, but it really was sweet to start off marriage by getting to – Talk about the Lord. Talk about what it means to be a pastor, how to treat your pastor's wife um, or a pastor's wife, how she should be a pastor's wife. Um, so it, it was just a really cool way to get everything kicked off and going. Um, it was special. Very sweet. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. So uh, I would I would at this point say let's dive into the focal point of this. But when my family and I were listening to the podcast, Last week, I said, let's dive in, and Carolee said, no, Dad, you already said let's dive at the beginning. You can't say that again. So I got to come up with a new phrase for let's get transitioned into the focal point of this podcast. I don't know what I should say. Let's get started. Let's dig in. Let's dig in. I'm getting I'm getting bullied by a six-year-old is what's well, happening. When you say let's dive in, maybe you should say, now let's swim. Mm. Time to snorkel. <laughs> let's, let's, all right, here's... Here's the backstroke, guys. It's time for the backstroke. Um, no, so so the focal point of this podcast is we just finished the book of Ephesians, and we are starting into the book of Matthew. So, um, actually, we're going to hit pause real quick. We got someone at the door, so we'll be right back. All right, so sorry about that interruption. Uh, we are church staff. People do stop by the church, uh, but it was actually very sweet. So it was Mr. Bruce Carper stopped by to get his Bible, uh, which is encouraging. I can't tell you how many times people leave Bibles here for weeks after weeks after weeks. And like, no, oh, Pastor, I'm studying my Bible. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> sitting right here. Um, oh, so <laughs> shots fired. People do have more than one. That's what they always say. Like, it's uh, true. Mm. In America, how many Bibles in a household? The average is six. There. If only they opened it. Yeah. This is true. <laughs> But what did he tell you? So um, uh, the marriage piece, yeah. or uh, so this was really special. The first thing he said to me was, "You look married." I said, "I feel married," um, and he said, "You know, this reminds me of something." He took a seat and gave me some solid, uh, just wisdom, uh, which he pointed out in the Old Testament. The Levitical priest would take a one-year sabbatical from all temple duties after they got married, which um, I quickly <laughs> said, "Not allowed." <laughs> Yeah, I, I've already gotten a week off, and it's time to get back to it. Um, and um, he said, well, that really the takeaway is that the importance of marriage cannot be understated. Mm. Nothing comes before it, not even the temple duties. Um, wow. Which, of course, it doesn't include like worshiping the Lord, obviously. Um, I don't want anyone to extrapolate poorly from there versus just pointing out how important marriage is. And he talked a little bit about his experiences in life and then he pointed out he was here to collect his um, his wife's Bible so that he could go home and continue to read through it, which is just really encouraging. And, I mean, we're talking about, what is it, like 1 o'clock on a, on a Monday? On a Tuesday. It's a Tuesday. It's I a know, Tuesday. I know what day it is. Typically, this is a Monday. It is a Monday. But, yeah, and he's still <laughs> reading really his cool. late wife's Bible. Like which that's... is just really encouraging. It's yeah. very sweet. Mm. Mr. Bruce, what a legend. Oh, yeah. So, uh, speaking of Bibles, Ephesians, Matthew, 
That's the transition we've been in. And I've mentioned it before, but I think Ephesians was probably one of the most powerful books that I've preached through uh, considering how how the church responded to it. And uh, so I just want to spend a few moments kind of dissecting, going through the book of Ephesians. Um, we started last fall. What was our big takeaways? What's something that, that we're applying? What's something that we wish we would have had more time to talk about? And then kind of get into the expectations for Matthew, why we picked the book of Matthew, what we're excited about, all that kind of stuff. So um, Ephesians, six chapters, one of the things I, I said early on was, uh, take time to to read the entire book and continue to read the book as we're going through it, and family groups as they are studying through it. Um, try to immerse ourselves into the book of Ephesians as much as possible. So, um, Chris, I'll, I'll start off with you. What was probably your um, biggest takeaway? Not necessarily you personally. We'll get there, but biggest takeaway as a church going through the book of Ephesians. What would you say? Well, I think when you zoom out um, on Ephesians. We want to be so deeply rooted in the gospel that it affects our day-to-day life and everything that we do. And I think, I think that our people were seeing how this is supposed to affect all my relationships. This is supposed to affect every aspect of my life. Mm. And so I think, I think that's, that was my biggest takeaway. Yeah, I would, I would agree to that. Um, Chris Zander, or excuse me, you just spoke. Alyssa Zander, do y'all have a big church-wide takeaway that y'all y'all saw, or maybe even something that was somewhat surprising? Um, I think just seeing, you know, this kind of piggybacks on what Chris was saying, though, but just seeing how our church was able to grasp um, this book and really just dive completely into it. And you heard so many conversations about, um, you know, what they were learning and what God was doing in their homes and in their marriages through working through this book. Yeah, yeah. Z, anyth- anything surprising? I think you and my, we, we might be on the same page with a surprise. I'll see what you're going to say. Oh, gosh. Now, <laughs> <laughs> now I feel like Trip it's, you a, up now, huh? yeah, it's the extra credit question I didn't His see coming. His eyes just got really big. Yeah, they did, because <laughs> now I feel like there's something I should be noting. Uh, my biggest takeaway probably was that we went through the same passage of Scripture twice. So on January 8th and on January 15th, we went through Ephesians 5, 18 through 33. Uh, the first time around, we talked about a spirit-filled marriage specifically towards men, and then we talked, same passage, to women directly about a spirit-filled marriage from the female perspective, um, both of which are sermons I've heard before, um, but I've never seen a church go through the same passage twice with such concrete conviction to go through the material from a different perspective. And I took the pleasure of going to multiple family groups, so that's where our church structure really defended what we were trying to do uh, with the preaching calendar. And going from class to class, hearing all the women super excited and to hear the different takes of like really come after me and tell me what I'm doing wrong so I can like step it up. And some saying like, be nice to me, be gentle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm an emotional critter, but like, tell me what I need to hear. And it was really cool to hear that spectrum. Of course, just also being a young minister, getting to hear how someone who's more seasoned is going to approach such a delicate topic on its own, especially in the times in which we are, it was really special because uh, 
Martin Luther is probably the only person I know of from antiquity who has preached a sermon twice in a row. Um, but he did that as a statement of y'all don't come to church enough. Um, but it was just a really cool angle. I never, I've never been a part of a church setting in which everyone was so excited to hear the word of God preached again. And there was such a buzz. So mm. that was just a really cool takeaway for me. Yeah. Yeah. Could you imagine if I tried to combine the men and women in one week, that would have been a two hour plus sermon. The church would have died. They would have just, <laughs> they would have just left. No, they uh, would have died in their seats. <laughs> Kids, our kids' volunteers would have choked. Would have killed me. Yes, yeah. I've gotten a few threats already. Uh, some I would see. Some I was like, "Man, you are too kind to be threatening my life like that." <laughs> so the kids must have been horrible today. Y'all disciplined your your kids. Um, sorry, this is a random side note. We were at that pastors' conference, and I forgot who was preaching. You said Martin Luther quoted Martin Lloyd Jones, and my wife turned to me and said, "Who's that?" And I said, you better be quiet. <laughs> in this room, you're asking who Martin Lloyd-Jones is, you might get mauled right here on the spot. Them be fighting words. Yeah, let's be quiet. And once I explained, she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. But I was like, they're going to get you. Um, no, I, I think I think for me, and this has to go back all the way to when we kicked off the series in September, because I told some of my pastor friends, I'm new here. I mean, at that point, September, I started in April, and, and we're diving into Ephesians, and they go, Hey, you, you know how Ephesians starts with a lot of predestination talk. Like, you really think it's wise for you to jump into predestination six, seven months in. And uh, that was never an issue here. Um, the, again, the people of God at Redeemer Church want to hear the Word of God taught. And we want to conform our lives to what it says. And even the parts that make us uncomfortable or we kind of mm-hmm. doubt or question a little bit or wrestle with, which is a good and right thing to wrestle with, it just we just skipped on to it. So I love to see and, and this is really Pauline in general. I think my favorite takeaway is Paul is a master at um just loving the people well, teaching the gospel well, and then um piggyback on in light of the gospel, here's how we should change our lives. And I think I think most people understand the gospel and they understand behavior modification, but the combination of changing our lives not because we're trying to be better people, but changing our lives because this is what the gospel has done in me is, is totally drastic. And most of us grew up in more probably of a legalistic Bible belt environment to where it was do this or else and don't do this or else. But, but no, none of us, I say none of us, most of us probably were not slowed down, taught the gospel well enough to say, um, because you were dead in your sins, but you've been made alive together with Christ this is then how you should walk this out. And so the the boots on the ground practical application of um, you you were dead to sin. Uh, don't, don't be a husband that's dead to sin. Be a husband that's alive in Christ. You were, as a woman, dead to sin. Don't live like you're dead to sin. Be a woman that's submitting to Christ and his headship. And so I think, uh, yes, I think, and we talked about this some in another podcast, but the incredible spirit of growth with husbands, wives, parents, all that was good. But what made me more excited behind any of that was they're doing that not not because they want to be a better husband per se, but because they've fallen in love with Christ. And in light of that, let's be a better husband and a wife and father. And that will stick. I mean, we can all like, I need to, yeah. I need to run or I need to exercise or I need to eat better. But yeah. even and, non-believers want to be a good spouse. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's a, And a good parent. Exactly right. Um, but it's all... It's all vanity, right? As right. Ecclesiastes would say, unless it's Christ gospel centered, 
then it's all vanity. So I, I think that was one of my big takeaways. And then just Ephesians 2, you cannot get more succinct definition of the gospel than Ephesians 2. And um, I love it. I mean, just even in my own mind, I have to go back to Ephesians 2 often. And um, But God, I mean, that's Ephesians 2, 4, right? Being rich in mercy and the steadfast love for us. So, um, yeah, it, it's just been encouraging all, all along the line. And um, yesterday, even on the phone, having a phone call with a church partner and he was talking about the things that he's doing to become a better dad and lead his wife and kids better. I was at a meeting last night with another couple and the husband was wrestling with like, what are some practical ways I can lead my wife better? And so you just hear that buzz a lot. Um, and, and I don't know, I, I don't, this is going to sound, I would love y'all's impact or, or your feedback on this, but um, I feel like the, the, the spirit of the room is now different. And I, I know that sounds very emotional and hokey, but conversations are lighter. It, it just it just feels now that we've finished the book of Ephesians, the church feels just has a different feel to it. Dare I say vibe? I know that's like I don't know. I don't like that word. But you know what I mean. Am I am I crazy or are y'all feeling that too? No, I I am feeling that. I think I think our people are growing. Um, I also think I mean, you've almost been here a year, so so we're, yeah, lot, we're settling um, in. We're recording this February 14th. A couple days ago was my one-year anniversary where I came to preach in view of a call. Right. That might have even been yesterday. So uh, a year ago, I was here preaching in view of a call. And so I think I think our and people you suckers are... suckers voted me in. <laughs> Punk. Y'all no clue Get what you're doing. <laughs> no clue. No clue what y'all are doing. Yeah, we didn't, but God did, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sorry, what were you saying? Um, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I I do feel like our people are growing, and um, and that makes us have a different vibe or a different mm-hmm. appearance, and conversations are different, and that's yeah. what growth does. Well, and 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 there's a there's a lot to be said there that we could dive into, but I think. Uh, in general, in part of this New Day podcast is to not shy away from the past of the hardships that Redeemer has gone through, but really brag on God's grace and steadfastness seeing the church through this. And so I think to your point, the stability that has come from uh, this last year has now, granted, I've yes. made some changes and some people have, uh, it's been hard to get adjusted into, but just us being able to be stable and steady for a year has probably helped in some of that. Would y'all, yeah. would y'all say? I would agree. Okay. Uh, so personally, what is your one big takeaway? What are you going to uh, apply in your life, in your family's life now based on the book of Ephesians? Ain't nobody want to take this. Oh, Xander's leaning <laughs> in. He'll do oh, it. Absolutely. Um, so it could not have been better timed with the fact that my marriage literally began at the end of the marriage portion of Ephesians. Did you just get married? <clears throat> I think so. Okay. <laughs> Let me check my left hand, and it's there. Okay. It is there. <laughs> it's there. It is. Um, it is pretty weird now that I will be having a ring mm. all the time. Um, actually, at the pastor's conference, there were some people I ran into from seminary. This is a rabbit trail. 
Um, but when I saw them, the first thing they said whenever they saw me was, hey, you're married? And I went, oh, that's right. People people can tell that from the outside now. Um, maybe mm. that's what Bruce meant by you look married. Maybe. There you go. Or you're just smiling. <laughs> probably, probably just grinning ear to ear. Um, so my biggest takeaway was the responsibility of my portion in marriage and the amount of sacrifice that God is calling Mariah to in mm. marriage. And understanding her sacrifice makes me understand my necessity of leadership all the more. Because um, if someone tells you you're supposed to be a leader, and you hear that a lot, especially when you're a class clown, you know, the teacher pulls you aside. I think you told me that a number of times when I was in youth group. I did. Yes. <laughs> I, remember, I remember one of those distinctly, yes. Uh, come on, man. You're a leader. People follow you. People are following you, yeah. Uh, which, that's awesome when you're a kid, and all I was hearing as a kid is, cool, people think I'm awesome, and they want to follow me because I'm taking them to fun places. Um, I think this is probably just a good like piece of parenting conceptual advice or just leadership advice, I guess, pointing out the sacrifice that others have to make at the, uh, the behest of your leadership. Mm really makes that responsibility weighty. Because if you just tell me I'm responsible for Mariah, then it's like, cool. Like I get the concept of responsibility and leadership as a writ large concept. But when you say that the amount of sacrifice she has to do in following you is dependent upon how well of a leader you can be, and you are now her limiting factor in her sanctification, that's a very different mathematical equation. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. So it's heavy. But I appreciated that because it then turned our wedding day from something that felt ostentatious. You know, you put on special clothes. She wears a dress that she'll only wear once in her life, things of that nature. And it went from, okay, this is a special day to, no, this is a celebratory day to celebrate what is the responsibility and the joy that is to come. It's a challenge, but it's a joy. Um, so my biggest takeaway would be that dynamic. Mm. That's good. That's good. Chris or Alyssa, who, who wants to dive in next? The biggest takeaway personally for the book of Ephesians. I think I, I'll go with that. Um, in Ephesians 4, it says, it tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. And I think for me, that verse kind of sums up all of it. It, it. That sums up the the wife portion for me, the parenting portion Um the war that we're in with the armor of God, all it, it, that sums all of it up, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Mm. So I think, I think for me that was the, the large And, the, and the price that was paid for you to be called. Yes. That Christ had to lay down his life so that you could be called. Yes. So don't, yeah, don't squander that crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection yes. by not walking in a worthy manner of that. Walking in a... Man are worthy, worthy of that. And then that very that next a, verse. My with, bad. <laughs> with humility. We're doing it live. <laughs> <laughs> with humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance for one another in love, all of those things. Unity mm. um, within the body of believers. So mm. some lofty goals. Yeah. Yeah, the bar is that high. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Alyssa? Yeah, so I think my takeaway, and this kind of goes back to what Gabe said just a little bit ago, um, but just seeing the words on the pages, like, in light of the gospel, here's what this looks like. Here's practical applications. Here's, you know, 
husbands, love your wives, wives, respect your husbands, children, obey your parents. Like that has really stuck out to me as far as um, don't, I don't know how I'm trying to say this, but we have, we have God's word in our hands. Um, it's on our phones. It's in our Bibles. You know, we, it's constantly at our fingertips and his word is not hidden from us. It's no secret, um, as to how we can pursue holiness in our lives. Yeah. And so that has been, that's just, I don't know. That's really stuck out to me is we don't have to, you know, we're not doing this alone. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. We were without excuse. Yeah. We, we, yeah. That's good. Exactly. I think for me and, and, I, and obviously I've been primary preacher through this series so this might be redundant but one of the passages that I wanted to get to we didn't really get to is the way that Paul closes this out Ephesians 6 24 grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible so you have here's the gospel here's how you act in light of the gospel but one of the fascinating things about the church in Ephesus is we saw their birth we saw their life we see them in Timothy first and second Timothy but then we also see the threat coming to them in Revelation, and then church history tells us they don't exist anymore. So at some point in the church in Ephesus' life, their love for Christ became corrupted. And Paul knew this in, in a prophetic way, don't let the love that you have for the Lord become corrupted, mm. or else the church is, is over, it's, it's done. And at some point it did. And I think for me, um, there, you can speculate and we could get into Sorry, church history and try to figure out what it was that corrupted them. But but I think it's it's not putting the gospel first, like I said earlier. Trying to do the thing without being rooted and strengthened by the gospel to do the thing. Um, and, and so just how easy our love for the Lord can get corrupted. And, and one of the things Chris said this earlier, I, I must say this often, but a fish doesn't know it's wet. And and my fear pastorally, and, and definitely when we start talking about kids and grandkids moving forward, is that we have meshed Christianity and Americanism so much so that do we even know that our love for the Lord is being corrupted because it just seems normal. Um, materialism seems normal inside the church, outside of the church. And so, uh, I mean, and we could use example after example, but but really fighting for the love that we have for the Lord not to be corrupted by by anything outside of uh, the gospel. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think that's my big takeaway is I cannot be a good husband. I cannot be a good father. I cannot be a good anything apart from Ephesians 2, Ephesians 1. Uh, that I was dead to sin. Christ made me alive with him. He's created these good works for me to walk into Ephesians 2.10. Right. So kind of to y'all's point, like, so just start doing it, you know. He's given us all we need to be holy, and so let's do the thing. So, anyways, that's the book of Ephesians. Any any last thought on Ephesians before we piggy into piggyback into Matthew? It's a good book. It's, it's <laughs> you good should book. read it. It is. <laughs> it it is. Uh, if anyone is listening to this podcast and has not yet read all of Ephesians in a straight run. You should do that today. Do it. It's yeah. worth the, what, 25 minutes, 30 minutes maybe? Ish. Yeah, I mean, if that. I mean, it's six relatively short chapters, mm-hmm. but it's a great read. It's a good one. And, and I've said this before. It was my favorite book I've preached. Bree and I were talking about this yesterday. I've I've preached through First Peter. I'm going to miss something. First Peter, Luke, Joshua, Hebrews, 
Galatians, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Jonah. Some Leviticus. I was preparing to preach through Exodus before God called me here. Um, and it, it has been my favorite and, a, and I think the the most beneficial book that I've preached, that I've seen the Lord really work in and through. So, yeah, the Bible is living and active, man. It does it. Any people who have known Gabe throughout his ministry career, if you missed one, let us know. You get a free T-shirt. Mm. Mm. That's good. That's good. I do. One of the, one of the things that I do also love about Ephesians is, and Paul's writings is, there are several. You can pray all scripture. I get that, but in my Bible, I have under Ephesians one um, sixteen through nineteen. I have my kids' names, and then. Um, where I prayed those scriptures for my children, and then I've added my son-in-laws and now my grandchildren, um, because those are those are words that that are God's words that I can pray back to Him for my family. Yeah, that's awesome. So that's that's another thing that I love about the Book of Ephesians. Jonah, I talked through Jonah. I think you said Jonah. Did I say Jonah? Mm-hmm. I talked through it twice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, first Thessalonians, I did that really quick. The Thessalonians are my favorite. I, those were the first I preached, and I've actually preached at every every church that I've ever been in ministry at. I have gone through First and Second Thessalonians. Yeah, they're solid. Oh, they're so good. So practical. Mm. So speaking of practical, Book of Matthew. Uh, we had a couple contenders for where we were going to go. Um, we finished in in typical my typical fashion is. Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. That's I'm gonna, I'm going to bounce back and forth, and I got challenged by John Piper and Mark Dever. Not personally, even though that would have been awesome. <laughs> they just called you up. Yeah, but hey, Gabe, I know what you're about to preach. Don't don't do that. They would say, "Brother Gabe, let's be honest." Bro- brother Gabe, <laughs> brother, I would implore you. Uh, oh gosh. <laughs> so, to to camp out primarily in the New Testament because their their reasoning is if you if you teach the New Testament well. You, by default, you're going to preach the Old Testament. Uh, because if the mm. New Testament is the fulfillment True. of the Old Testament and you're cross-referencing back and forth, Makes sense. then then you're doing it justice. And and I mentioned in the sermon Sunday as we got Matthew started that, that one of the most, um, I can't remember the exact quote. It wasn't unnecessary. That's a little melodramatic. But problematic is melodramatic too. But the one page in between the New Testament and Old Testament, one of the theologians said, rip it out, because that that really muddies the water. This is not two different stories. This is one story, the redemptive work of Christ uh, from Genesis to Revelation. And and so I, I I agreed with that. So we as a team talked. We threw out some different options. I would still love to preach Acts at some point, and that's where I thought we were going. And then we had talked about some Old Testament prophecy that would could have been beneficial and um, my wife has been rooting for Genesis. She's been asking me to preach through the book of Genesis for a long time, and we would love to have done that. But um, as I shared some some, some Sunday, um, I read a book when I was on vacation, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And for me, that book has been revolutionary. And there are some things. Chris read it, right? Yes, I did. And there's some things in there that, I mean, he's, the, uh, politically, we might not see eye to eye on. Yes. Uh, I'd love to sit John Mark Comer down and say, hey, let's talk about these things. But uh, one of my biggest takeaways 
well, one, it showed me that I'm a workaholic, but two, the way that he talked about Jesus was um, so personal and and still reverent, right? Like, not like Jesus is my homeboy. We hang out on the weekends. Like, it wasn't that, but it was. <laughs> uh, I if you have, that's an old T shirt. I hate. I don't know if y'all if y'all ever had one of those. I'm sorry. Someone mm, else is my homeboy, me. but I'm not going to say who. <laughs> it was the comment from uh, um, "Feed My Sheep." Um, he made fun of people who say John Calvin is my homeboy. Oh. Uh, that was the yeah. callback. Okay. okay, there it is. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I missed that joke, so, you know. <laughs> well, I think we all thought it was more scandalous than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, sure, you yeah. all just looked at you like, who are you talking about? Um, so, yeah, I, just, I, I, I was envious of the way that, that John Mark Comer just has a relationship with Jesus where it came across every conversation, every page, everything he talked about. And so coming out of Ephesians where – this is how the gospel has it has called us to live. Well, then, do we really know Jesus, and do we really know who He is, and um, and dare I say, obsessed with Him? He comes up in conversations. My kids come up in natural conversations. My wife comes up. Uh, my hobbies come up. But does Jesus come up in just normal everyday conversations? And so, so starting to get those lenses on allowed me to um, really. Zoom out. So yeah, that's. I mean, that's the point, right? Like we're trying our best to um, take what we've learned in the Book of Ephesians about Jesus, and then how we live in light of that. But but we really have to zoom out to who who is Jesus. And I know that's an elementary question, but the reality is, do we ever do we ever move beyond that question? Is do we know Jesus? Do we love Jesus? Are we building our lives around Jesus? So. I kind of said tongue-in-cheek Sunday that we might get, and I was going to go ahead and silence and all the haters out there, but uh, if people say two and a half years in the book of Matthew seems like a really long time, and right now, Lord willing, we've timed it to where we will finish um, the resurrection on Easter Sunday of 2025. I mean, that's, that's kind of so the, cool. That's the math, how it lines up. Yeah, God's providence. So if we can keep that schedule, yeah, so we're talking – Roughly two two years with some breaks in there, but is that too long to preach about who Jesus is? And I would just simply say no. Like that, this is all that we're building our lives around is the person and work of Jesus. That's the the theological term would be Christocentric, right? Christology. We're we're trying to do uh, exactly what He's called us to do and be who He is, like He's called us to be. So we have to study Christ. We have to know Christ and in a high lofty way of um, understanding his deity and, and his holiness, but also in a friend way of um, Jesus is, as Hebrews would call him, our elder brother. Which, I mean, that's a, we could maybe do a whole podcast just on that topic. People don't really consider Jesus as our elder brother. Um, and it makes the, when you start to see those lenses, it makes the story of the prodigal son make a whole lot more sense. And the role of the older brother didn't do anything. He sat around sulking, but Praise God, we have an elder brother that pursued after us. That he came after us. The father sent the son to come rescue and redeem. So you you understand mm. that story in a whole different wow. light than yeah. when you consider Jesus as the elder brother that did sit in heaven being complacent, but actually came, sought after us, left the 99 for the one, and, and praise God that he did. So with all that being said, what is, what is y'all's biggest hope as we go into this two-year process of the book of Matthew? Um, 
Xander, I'll, I'll, I'll sling it to you first. What are you hoping for in the book of Matthew? Because you just finished or you're still in the book of John with the youth, right? Uh, so the youth have finished the book of John. Okay. We're now doing a it's a it's a rip off of Nam. Um, they have a campaign called Who's Your One, the one person you're trying to reach for the sake of the gospel. We're doing something uh, called Who's Your Three. It's mm-hmm. just a rip off of what they're doing, and I'm saying instead of one person, have three. So you have your distant peripheral. That's the person we say that we're hopeful for, and then you have someone who's a little bit closer, and that's who you're praying for, and then you have your verbal, the one that you're actually sharing the gospel with each week. So, Lord willing, they're getting the exact same thing. Uh, this is a shameless transition to my hope for Matthew. Yeah. Is that you will have someone that you're sharing the gospel with every single week verbally. And this is something I say to the youth often, that you should share the gospel with someone every single day, even if that someone is yourself. Um, and it should be out loud. If it has to be you in the mirror, do it in the mirror. Um, but... There should be someone that you're verbally sharing with, someone that you're praying for, the opportunity for you to get closer to so that you can share with them. And your distant is the person that you're just hoping to one day get to a point where you can be praying for the opportunity to really share the gospel with them. Um, Actually, right before we started recording this podcast, my dad called me to say uh, someone in his office had the gospel shared to him, and he wanted me to start praying for them to hopefully have a conversation because the modern world is a weird one, so it's sometimes difficult to, in the office, say, do you know who Jesus is? Well, that can get you sent to HR real quick, and that's not something we're blind to as a church staff. Um, so my hope as we go through Matthew is not uh, – Matthew's my favorite of the synoptics. Mm. Um, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke. Um, that tell all the same stories. My favorite part about Matthew, um, and hopefully we'll get this joke relatively quickly, is in the book of Matthew, <laughs> um, Matthew thinks we're idiots. And I'm so thankful for it because I am an idiot. Uh, and he says, Jesus went off and did this thing. And that was to fulfill the prophecy. It's almost like he's holding a giant banner like you'd see at the Super Bowl of, you know, like defense. It's like, thank you, that's really contributing. Uh, but in case we did forget what we're supposed to be doing out there, Matthew is holding up a giant sign that says, to fulfill the prophecy. Mm-hmm. Here is the prophecy. Here's what he did. Do you see any connections? You might not. Let me connect it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's right into a primarily Jewish audience. Right. Yeah. Uh, so the Jews would have known these stories, yep. and so he's saying, you know this story, this is what Jesus did. We're on the opposite side of that, so we're saying that we understand Jesus for the most part on a general historical level as far as American Christianity goes in the modern age, mm. but we don't know the history of why these things are so important, why Jesus is exactly who he said he is. It's not impressive that he walked on water. What's impressive is that he said he was going to walk on water hundreds of years before mm-hmm. in different scrolls and manuscripts. He said he would be unsightly. He said he would die on a tree. All of these prophecies fulfilled, uh, born of a virgin, all these amazing things that the Jews said, well, this is impossible. It's going to be fulfilled in some roundabout way like you'd see in a Disney movie. Like, oh, that is kind of correct to the prophecy, but I never thought that you know the wacky action hero would have been the leader of this prophecy, like Kung Fu Panda style. Mm. Uh, but instead we get the actual magnificence of Christ. And I'm hoping that as we take two and a half years to go through Matthew, we will see that Old Testament, New Testament line up for the sake of the daily mission in the office space. Yeah, that's good. I hope I can win some of my coworkers to Jesus. That would be helpful. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's a tough office. <laughs> <laughs> tough office. So, Alyssa, what is your biggest hope for the book of Matthew? Um, my biggest hope for the book of Matthew is just spending – like Gabe and Xander have both mentioned, just spending that long of time in a book, I just truly hope to 
really be able to rest in that and slow down and not not be looking towards the end. Like I really hope to be able to sit in it and focus on what we're learning each week and really finding out who Jesus is and how we can live each day to be like him. Yeah. Good. Well, especially, I mean, if we if we fast forward to the end of Matthew, then now it's time for us to go make disciples. Like right. we must do something with what we've heard. Mm-hmm. So let's slow down and actually know that we know that we know who Jesus is before we get sent out, right? Yep. Chris, yeah. what do you yeah. got? So um, in your introduction, you were talking about Matthew presenting Jesus as the king mm. and showing his royal um, birth line and all of those things. And so I think my biggest hope for the book of Matthew is that all of us will not only know Jesus as our Savior, but we will know him as our king, yeah. and we will submit to him, and we will um, be in awe of who he is, the the king of kings. Mm. Um, that That's my biggest hope. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to steal that because that's mine too. I think we live in such a world where people understand Jesus as their Savior. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ died on the cross, save me from my sins. Great, I'm I'm Christian, but have no real concept for the lordship or right. the kingship of Jesus. Right. Where we submit everything, we give everything, we don't talk back to the king. And and when you really again zoom out, you want to hit the button. <laughs> zoom out. <laughs> when you zoom out and consider, most people left Jesus at the crucifixion because that's not how a king was supposed to die. Right. That he was supposed to ride into Jerusalem on the white horse, not on a donkey. And he was supposed to rule and reign. And, and when we kind of are able to zoom out and go, no, but... Zoom out! Thank you. <laughs> his, his kingdom is ruling and reigning right now. Like, and it's not some future eternal rule and reign, which he will, but John seventeen three, eternal life starts now. We're, we're in God's kingdom ruling and reigning right now. There's not an inch of the earth that he doesn't declare mine. Right. And so when we understand that Jesus is king, he's not ruling and reigning in the future sense. He's ruling and reigning now. And that just starts to change our paradigm shift of I mean, we're, we're never defeated and we're never, um, we're never against an enemy and an army that we can't defeat because Christ is our king. He's already ruling and reigning. So I think that's my biggest hope is let's, Let's understand rightly who Jesus is as king and submit to his lordship in that regard, but then also let that be a warm blanket of, of man, we're, we're untouchable. I mean, it's, it's Paul talking to Romans like, what, what can any man do to me um, if God is for me? Who, who can be against me? So I think that's my biggest hope through Matthew. And just to slow down, have the, have the family group. This is a selfish plug, right? Like get into a family group. Um, dive into the word, slow down, study it, spend time studying it um, so that you can really gain all that the Lord has for us uh, in in the book of Matthew. Sound good? Sounds good. good. All right, any, any last words? Yeah, I said my piece. I'll hold it. Yeah? So you 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 going to enjoy going home to your wife today? I will. This is actually the first time I'm going from work with a reason to like go home. I don't have a dog or anything, right? So like what's the point of going home? That's why I stay here for endless hours. I gotta go home to my wife, man. She's making dinner. Wait, she's making no, wait, Okay, hold on. Wait, wait. So, <laughs> we don't know when this will be released, but this is Valentine's Day. 
mm-hmm. your wife is making you dinner on Valentine's Day. You better answer quickly and, and confidently because these girls are about to jump you. I think she is, but before someone attacks me. <laughs> Wait, to be honest, I'm cooking dinner tonight, so. I'm so vindicated. I'm not. <laughs> I am not. Bree is not. Um, our first big date. This is a total rabbit trail, but to like nipping in the bud. Um, I made us dinner and it was like fettuccine Alfredo from scratch with like stuffed mushrooms. I went way over the top. Um, I was smitten. Can't say anything less. Uh, but hey, we're married. So like, it's cool now. Oh, At the time yeah. it was a lot. It was a lot. Um, but she made like some comments, which I mean, I could be dead wrong, right? Next podcast. I might be saying like, nope, I ate my words. Um, but she wanted us to like cook it together, but she really enjoys cooking. So sometimes when it's like we're cooking together, it's really more like I'm there. Mm. I'm picking the playlist and that is cooking together. I'm, I'm a big fan of dancing. And so typically I'm just in the way twirling her as she tries to like make sure things don't burn, <laughs> but it works. Okay. So you're cooking Zach. I am. A Valentine's dinner. Well, I cook every night. You cook every night? Yeah. Literally every night? Pretty much. If we're home, I'm cooking. Wow. But I'm like Mariah. I enjoy cooking. Chris, do you cook every night? <laughs> <laughs> I cook every night for 30 Plus years. Yeah. When's the annual lighting of the stove? <laughs> for 2023? I don't know yet. <laughs> no, we've already had it. I, I do. Contrary to public opinion. <laughs> to Eddie's opinion. And contrary to Eddie's voice. Um, Which I is do, very loud. It's very loud. And I do cook often. Mm. But if we don't get home until, you know, yeah. 8 o'clock, we might eat a sandwich. Mm, that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> or a spoon of peanut butter. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Because we eat lunch together every day, and it's normally a nice lunch. So yeah. we don't have to have a large dinner every night. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We should treat every day like Valentine's Day. Yes, we should. And add extra S's in Valentine's <laughs> Day. Valentine's Days. Or you could say Valentine's. Valentine's. That's my Valentine's. favorite. All right. Redeemer, we love you. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to New Day Podcast. The song is Fire on the Ridge by St. Howard. With what you have just heard, go and be faithful.